Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, May 2nd, also known as my 60th lap around the sun. We are here live today. It is time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we will get to your calls and questions I guess we're looking for them still. We will get to your calls and questions. We will hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power. The number to join us, phone lines are open right now, 855-950-3835. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That was my first happy birthday of the morning. All right. Uh, we got a lot going on. I was going to wait uh, until we had the team in here from Pittsburgh Power. Um, a lot of news around California right now. I was going to talk a little bit about that. I guess I'll jump in um, while we're getting the uh, calls all lined up here. Here's the uh, headline today. California officially outlaws the sale of dirty diesel trucks starting in 2036. 2036, when I first heard it, sounds like a long way in the future. Like I don't really need to think about 2036, but it's not that far. That's 13 years. 13 years from now, you're not going to be allowed to buy a diesel truck in California. And then I thought I saw another one. I'll have to go look that uh, sometime in 2040, um, you wouldn't be allowed to run a diesel truck. Uh, Hold on one second. All right. I need to refresh. Okay. Looks like uh, we've got Bruce there and we're getting in. The rest of them. So I'll go ahead and bring Bruce in. We can talk about this. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Hold on one second. Welcome back. Is it it, it your birthday? Uh, It is, yes. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm I'm here working. Uh, I'm kind of on a pseudo vacation. Mm -hmm. We, uh, We went out to the coast uh, Washington, uh, last week we did the show out there and then, uh, spent the weekend. I took a long weekend and then, uh, we got back late last night and we're here live today. And for the rest of the week, sprinter? what's that? Did you take your sprinter? Did you we, take the sprinter? We did. We did. The, uh, the big coach is still in the shop. I don't know if that thing's ever coming out, but it was a, uh, very well, nice trip. Yesterday, a guy just, yeah, I just bought a sprinter, and he wants me to delete it. I said, oh, Are you crazy! Don't even think about it. I don't, they have virtually zero emissions problems on these things. Well, he's he only lives four miles from our shop, and he's known us for a long time. And I said, just come and get a cow and a cattle, and that's mileage cattle. Yes. You won't have any problem. And then I proceeded to tell him about the trucking company and the tuner and the mechanics that just got busted last week. I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, several of the them. EPA. Yeah. yeah. 
$775,000 fine. Yeah. And you just don't need to delete anymore. There, these emission problems, these emission systems aren't a problem. Yeah. On this vehicle, they're really not. Not at all. I mean, I, I've looked all over the forums. Nobody has had any kind of emission issues with these at all. And crazy thing, these things get 20 plus miles to the gallon. Yeah. Amazing. So, so anyway, um, California be here till noon today. So oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say California has um, has passed a law. You will not be allowed to sell or buy a diesel truck in 2036. That's only 13 years. Well, let's see. I'll be 87 years old. I'll still probably be talking to you on the radio show. I think we will be talking about it. Yeah. It, it's a it's a stupid. You know what I say? Let their produce rot. Exactly. Let their produce rot out there and don't, don't take them any goods and... Uh, and everything that comes into the ports, just leave it. You know, they, or get rid of their all their politicians out there and replace them with uh, good business people type politicians. Get rid of all the politicians that have a, a law degree, because we know all know how lawyers are, and uh, put politicians in there, or let business people run the state, and uh, then the problems will be over. Yep, I agree. And I also see this was interesting. Toyota is building a complete powertrain, hydrogen powertrain for class eight trucks. It's been approved for use in California. It looks like they're going to be working with uh, Packard. I, I, I've got a picture of this thing. I, I, it's the most complicated. I, I look at this and I think, how would you even work on this? It is really complicated looking. And honestly, if this is the engine, and I guess it is, it's so hard to figure out exactly what I'm looking at. I don't know where they're going to fit this thing. It looks really big. Wow. Well, they better start building fire plants. I don't have a problem with electric vehicles, but you need to have some electricity. Yeah, it's they're they're. Way too many problems with it. There's no way it's going to happen that fast. So here's something you probably don't know that's happening. There is a proposed North Atlantic right whale vessel strike reduction rule. All boats 35 feet and larger on the entire east coast of the United States within 100 miles of the coast are going to be restricted to 10 knots. For 100 miles of the coast? 100 miles. What? You have got to be kidding me. (laughs) I don't know where these people keep coming up with this stuff. (laughs) I feel sorry for my grandchildren. They have to live with all this. That's insane. Oh, yep. And not limit boats 35 feet and larger. Viking motor yachts and Princess is fighting the the, uh, the bill right now. Unbelievable. Join the fight against the 10 knot 
restriction. So it's crazy. Yes, it is. You know, I said years ago, back in the 80s, I said politicians and the super wealthy people do not want upper or middle class people and upper middle class people to associate with them, to have condos near where they have condos at the ocean, to drive cars like they drive. They want to suppress the middle class to keep it strictly a working middle class and not to succeed. And that's what they're trying to do again. They, they tried it back in the 80s and maybe early 90s, and now they're at it again. Yeah, it certainly seems like it. Cost of living and raising the price of everything. You stifle the uh, uh, entrepreneurship and the middle class. Yeah, absolutely. That that's uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. Yeah. So anyway, we have Eric Moser on the show with us today. Eric's been with us for 13 years. Eric uh, came to us as a gearhead. He's a Ford guy. And he uh, drag races a Mustang, and he has been featured on television with the uh, Street Outlaws on the Discovery Channel. And he takes a lot of our service calls, and then when it is scheduling in our shop, they get to talk to Eric. So I have to leave at noon today, and so Eric will be filling in for Pete and myself, and working with Leroy. Excellent. All right. Well, I think we are, are working on bringing them in right now, so we'll hear from them in just a second. Um, what else is uh, new and exciting in your world this week? Well, we're going to be on the road Thursday and Friday, heading back north. I hope some warm weather comes, and I'm going to snowing in Pittsburgh yesterday. Um, Living in Florida, and it's 82 degrees to go to 35 degree Maryland and Pennsylvania. <laughs> Doesn't seem right. Yeah. Um, so same thing here. Here right. just left today. He is a retired Caterpillar engineer from Peoria. And he said that uh, he texted me, he said, just why am I going north right now? Oh, anyway. So, yep. All right. Uh, let's see if we That's have, what I had. okay. All right. We, uh, huh. all right. We're going to, we're going to bring them in right now. Let's get started this morning with Leroy. Leroy, good morning. Morning. What, uh, what's on your mind this week? Well, um, I got a email the other day, um, for a guy with like a 13 or 14 ISX with, high oil consumption issues. And I thought, I think he said he was a listener on the show. I thought we would just talk about it on the show. Sure. Um, I'll probably email him back as well, but we'll just talk about it here. So yeah, 2013 or 2014 ISX. Um, I think he said he's using a gallon of oil like every 5,000 miles or something like that, which I'm pretty sure the spec is like 3,000. It's 20, 2,800 to be exact. Is that what it is? 2,800? Yeah. It's one quart per 700 mile. So if he's using like 5,000, then okay. one gallon every 5,000. Kind of a lot. Yeah, it's getting there. So um, the we went through a couple of the standard things that it could be, you know, rings and um, sort of things like that. We think we just talked about it not too long ago. Anyway, I brought up the 
about that service bulletin that they had a few years ago where they had the issue with the, the top land of the ring carbon packing and it would polish the top of the bore and then you wouldn't get good sealing at the top and it would eat oil that way. So I asked them if that was ever done to that engine and I think it's an original 2013 or 14 engine and it's never been opened up. So he's wondering too, if it has something to do with that anti-polish ring liner that they came out with, I think it was like 2016 when they came out with that. Do you remember that, Eric? I, I do a little bit. Yeah. They, they came out with a redesigned ring or liner, I'm sorry, with a machine groove for this top ring. And what it does is when the piston comes up for top dead center, it actually in theory kisses that ring just for a split second to knock the carbon off. So it's almost like a small ping mm. and it knocks the carbon off the top ring to keep that from anti-polishing in there. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I think that he should check because it's never been opened up, and this service bulletin didn't come out till 2016. There's a chance that he has that in there. Yeah, absolutely. I had and one I, last week. Okay. I think I had a call that was, I think it was a 2016 ISX, and we have the same issue. He was down to about uh, 3,500 miles per gallon of oil. I mean, there's other things to check, like the turbo. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on a couple other things right now, but it, that's yeah. your main two causes is loss of compression from carbon pack top, uh, compression rings or the turbo. Um, there's a couple other things, but that's your main two culprits whenever uh, there's an oil consumption issue and oil leaks. I mean, yeah, <laughs> terrified it's not leaking oil. We've seen a lot of those lately. You, <laughs> yeah. You know Sometimes what though? People I, think. I've had a lot of people call me over the years and say, you know, my truck's leaking so much oil. And I'll say, well, hold on. It might be leaking, but it's not your oil consumption problem. I've never seen a leak that could come anywhere near a gallon of oil every couple thousand miles. And if somebody wants a good comparison when they see a puddle under their truck and they think they're losing that much oil, what I want them to do is taking a gallon of take a gallon of oil and pour it out on the ground next to that spot. Yeah. Kind of a big puddle, yeah. A gallon of oil on the ground is huge. It's like a swimming pool. Yeah, half a quart. Really, it, it we we never leak enough oil to create those kind of problems. Right. Yeah, and I think you also mentioned um about having some like high oil temp issues. I think he said he was running like 245. I think an ISX typically runs like 230, 235-ish. Yeah. So if you're running 245, 250, to me, that's too hot. And you should be able to see that start to affect your engine in like uh, oil samples. I mean, you look at it, oil samples, there. Look for high oxidation. Yeah. Oxidation is the thermal breakdown of the oil. Um, I see that a lot. Um, one of the things I've been seeing a, a big, big run on is base. Um, and there's really no rhyme or reason with what oil, what brand, what flavor, anything. A lot of these oil samples are coming back. I feel premature lifespan and they're flagged for low base. But to answer hey. your first question, oxidation is definitely it. Yeah, Eric, the, what's going on with the, with the base is that the newer engines need less and less base. They're not having those same, you know, acid buildup issues as the older engines. So the manufacturers keep putting less and less base into the oil to begin with. But the labs haven't really kept up with this. 
So we tell people no, that, you know, we do a lot of extended drains with the OPS. So we tell people if your base drops below 2.5, that's a time to start thinking about it. But there's two ways now on the market to just add base back in. Um, we can it Luberfiner makes filters with base impregnated into the filter. That's a nice, easy way. And we figured out don't buy two of them. If you have two filters, only buy one with the base. It's all that you need. You end up with way too much base if you put two of them on there. And then Hotshot Secret makes a base additive. And right on the bottle, they tell you if your base is this, add this much, it'll bring it up to this. So, uh, base has become an issue mostly because the oil manufacturers are putting less and less in. Um, but we have a couple easy ways to just add some base now. I see a lot of it with the older, specifically Series 60 Detroits, and yes. they have a lot of fuel dilution as well. Um, and a lot of guys get freaked out about that. They'll call me up and say, hey, you know, what's going on? It, it, it's just nature of the beast. I mean, a lot of Detroits out there are that way. We We actually did a guy's engine here. I'm going to say probably six, seven years ago, full out of frame, everything on it new. And we went through a lot of injectors from straight from Detroit. They just had a really bad run of production for quality level until we finally got his fuel dilution under control. But a lot of guys still suffer from that. That and Detroit is by nature are a dirt, slobbery, fuely engine. Oh, well, that's kind of mean. <laughs> I love them. Don't get me wrong. I do. To call yeah. it pretty and slobbery doesn't if you love it. <laughs> They're a great engine. I, I really like them. Yeah, the, the the injector issue we've talked about for probably 20 years on the Series 60. They, they go through runs where everything seems okay for a couple of years. Then all of a sudden we get these lousy quality injectors and people go through two and three sets. And then it goes away for a while and then it comes back. So that, that's been going on for a long time. Yep. And... I guess to go back to the, the, I guess the guy, I think the guy's name was John. If he's still listening, um, if you have that sort of oil consumption, not only is is that alone an issue, but that's going to wreak havoc on your after treatment system. You're probably going to get some DOC face plugging. Your filter's going to get plugged up. Um, if it gets pa- if it's bad enough, and you get past like the DPF, I mean, you're going to have some real issues there. Yeah, doesn't it deplete the SCR? Or two. Yeah, it will poison the SCR catalyst as well. I mean, you if you run it like that for a while, you will destroy the entire system. And last time I checked, that's pretty expensive you know, <laughs> to put all new stuff back on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, yeah, I would probably... Go ahead. I was going to say, I would probably, if it were me, I'd probably get it in and see if that recall's ever been done. It's not really a recall, but service bulletin, but it's an updated part. Most likely, probably carbon-packed. Was he throwing codes for high crankcase pressure? Um, he didn't specify in his email because those ones actually, I don't know if that would have the serviceable or non-serviceable crankcase breather filter element as well. I think that would have the non-serviceable one. I'll have to look into that. Too, yeah, I can't remember when they changed that. Me either. That's been a, quite a few years. Yeah. But. Yeah. All right. Anything else, or do we want to get to some phone calls? I think we're ready for some calls. All right. Um, by the way, Eric, you, you jumped right in there and, and started answering. We, you know, didn't even really do a formal introduction. Bruce did a little bit, but uh, you're going to fit right in here. So that's that's how it works here. You just ju- jump in, uh, push your way in if you have to. We'll uh, 
we appreciate that. So thanks for joining us. I have two, three teenage boys, so I'm used to like fighting my way through stuff. There you go. I can tell. Um, that's It's a good thing. You're going to need those skills around here. Uh, phone lines are open. We're going to start taking those calls right now. 855-950-3835. Jump in and join us. We're going to get started in Oregon. Alan, welcome to the program. Alan? Hello. Are you there? Huh. Well... Guess not. I'm going to put Alan back in the queue, and we will see if we can figure out what's going on there. Uh, I don't think it's on our end. Everything looks good on our end. Uh, a couple more calls are coming in. Um, there was a. I was. I was going to make a comment when you guys were talking about that series sixty, and then it. Flew right out of my mind. Now I can't remember what it was. Um, whew, I don't know. That it's not a operate dirty engine, that they're fantastic. You know, we, we did used to talk quite a bit about the uh, turbo slobber. That's what we used to call it. And it was... Yeah, I mean... We, you know, we used to get that call all the time. Um, my turbo is seeping or leaking oil and the first thing we would tell them is it's probably not oil it's probably fuel and soot mixed and it looks a lot like oil that was a really common issue i have a kind of a funny story i'd like to share about that if you got a second sure go ahead we had a customer in here a couple years ago now caterpillar uh single turbo pre-emissions everything it's like an 0102 peterbilt and he had fuel slobber. And this was basically a working show truck, very, very immaculately kept under the hood, inside everything. And the guy came in, he was convinced it was oil. And I went out, looked at it, and I said, No, nah, I'm pretty sure that's that's gonna be fuel slobber. And he said, No, I'm telling you, it's oil, it's oil. So I smeared my finger around and I tasted it. And he looked at me with like utter disgust. He looked at me and he goes, Man. He said, I'll tell you what, use a bad mother, and I won't say the rest, because I've never seen anything. I said, well, you can tell a distinct difference between, like, 1540 and fuel mixed with something. It's not the most method out there, but when you're a drag racer, I mean, you see fluids on the ground, that's the first thing you do is test them. I Taste mean, it. In the only way you have some way means at, at times, because you may not be around, like, your shop or tools or you work with what you have. And at that moment, I just figured that was the best I, way. I feel like you can usually smell it. I feel like tasting it is a little extra. My sniffer is not the best. Um, all, all the years of the fumes and everything. Uh, the, quote, fumes. Yeah. <laughs> the fumes. So, subject, uh, I've been cars for a while. I've, I've been around engines. I've had a lot of, probably exposed to a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> and I have bad signs to begin with. I'm not the best person to sniff stuff. But tasting still works. <laughs> You know, that's, uh, and I'm kind of with uh, Leroy on this one. I usually smell it and I can usually figure it out. I've, I've never really thought about tasting it. But I, I will tell you this, given this topic, you are very fortunate you are a diesel mechanic and not a doctor. You know why? <laughs> uh, no, tell me. Do you know how doctors used to diagnose diabetes? No. They would taste the patient's urine. 
You can taste sugar in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not the worst. Yeah, that's a little worse. I throws, you know, throws is pretty close to that. I, I think I could probably. <laughs> it, it looked like water. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't drink like construction like tea. <laughs> well, hydrated. It doesn't look that bad. I. I grew up, my, all my dad drank was Stroh's. I haven't heard that in so long. <laughs> well, we're in the steel country, so a lot of the, what we call mill hunkies, uh, they always drank Stroh's. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one? Split Iron City. Iron City. Yeah. Iron. Remember yeah. Splits, Kevin? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have one of the signs on my bar down the basement. Yep. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. Prior to Prohibition, there was like a, a, a brewery in almost every town. And then after Prohibition, it was mostly the big ones. And there was a lot of them and like a lot of industries, trucking and everything else. They combined and merged and disappeared. But now we're almost going back to it, especially where I live. Um, yeah. I live in a very small town. We don't even have a single traffic light. You know, they usually say we only have one traffic light. We don't even have one. We have a couple stop signs in town, and that's about it. And yet we have two local brew pubs in town. Yeah, I feel, I feel like in Pittsburgh, we have like one for every borough or township. Yeah. They're everywhere. I mean, Colorado, though, don't they, don't they have the most Colorado brew pubs? I, I don't know if it's still true but when i moved out here portland had more breweries per capita than any city in the world not just the u.s in the world mm, well that's why they want to keep it weird uh, yeah portland is it, well we we've gone beyond weird now it's it's dystopia out here it's you don't even go anywhere near the city Yeah, it's it's uh it's a mess. All right. Phone lines are uh, starting to pile up on us. We're going to see if we can get Alan this time. Let's try one more time. Alan, are you there? Yeah, hey guys, you got me now. There we go. What's on your mind today? Okay. Well, so I've been running the catalyst in my new truck 24,000 miles now since day 1, and I hear Joel talking about the hot shot secret every day. I was wondering, should I be using that with it? Would that be a good idea, or would that not be a good thing? No. I wouldn't use both. So so the hot shot secret, I think the everyday, the product he's talking about is a cetane booster. And when you've got an engine, especially the Volvos that have been specced right and they're driven right, that you don't see a lot of emissions problems with them, but the cetane booster helps. It's like that, you know, insurance policy, even though you have everything else right. But I wouldn't run the two of them together. Okay. That that was my question. Uh, you can and I have you can run you can run them together, but uh by the way, Kevin, we get a lot of phone calls from people with Volvos at three hundred thousand miles that have not run the catalyst and now their emission problems upon them if the volvo engine is no different than any other engine run it in the wrong rpm range and you will end up with emission problems 
You, you got to keep it. That engine is designed to be downsped. It's designed to keep that heat in the engine and the emission system. And there are still a ton of them that are just not spec right. Yeah, well, you know, this, this is a 2024, and I didn't spec it. I Somebody ordered it during COVID and backed out of it, and it was a truck I could get now, and uh, I had to get out from another. I had T680 with the car engine that was just killing me. So this one has got your favorite spec, 12-speed with 308. Um, yeah. But I live on the West Coast. I run the West, and... Uh, I've been keeping it 61, 62, and running a, it's just a hair under 1,300 RPMs. I would I would keep running the catalyst in that truck. Okay, and I have since day one, so, uh, yeah. so yeah. Hey, the engine still makes soot. I mean, if it didn't, then they wouldn't need a DPF. So, <laughs> just right. saying that. Right, right. So, so uh the hot shot secret should have something different. I mean, should I once in a while use it or yeah. should the catalyst is good? Run it, run it with and with, run the catalyst to keep the soot down, but run the uh, hot shot secret for a couple of tank poles and then run with that and let's compare some fuel mileage. It, it might give you a few tenths. Okay. So okay. Let good. me know. Okay. Yeah, I will. I, uh, I've got the subscription and I, I ran out with the gallon that's with me and I got a, a gallon sitting at home. That's why I thought this might be a time, you know, to do it if I was going to run it, you know, separately. So. Yeah, you know, we get the phone calls. I think the phone calls, the people that are calling us uh, don't want to come on the show and say that they're having emission problems with their Volvo. For some reason, they don't want to do that, but they certainly call our office and tell us that. Okay, right. Right. Well, I'll keep running the catalyst. Um, I, I, all the stuff I've heard, I think it's a great product. That was, uh, that was an interesting statement Leroy made there. If it didn't have certain carbon, it wouldn't have a DPF. Oh, I like that. Yeah. We are off to Illinois this time. Scott, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Yeah, I've got an issue that's going on with my turbo on my IXX. It's a, thir- it's a 13 motor. It's a 14-year international. And and also, I'd like to comment on that carbon packing. Um, I bought this truck with 140,000 miles on it. had a five-year extended warranty, 500,000, five-year extended warranty. And when it hit um, 250,000 miles, I started burning oil. Um, about a gallon to three to four thousand miles, and um, I took it to the dealer and and I heard about the carbon packing because I had a friend of mine that had the same issue and they rebuilt his motor and, and they they rebuilt my motor they took care of it and that's what they determined it was carbon packing why that's why it was burning the oil. Um, yeah, but are you, but, are you uh, running the max mileage catalyst? I've I've burned it in every tank full since then. Okay. But I've, I've been listening. Been listening. Be yep. I've been listening to you guys now for about three years, and uh, I'm a firm believer in it. And I work road construction. Um, I run a day cab, 
And um, I've got friends that I work, I'm getting them on it, and they're everybody that I've got on it has just thrilled to death with what the results are. Uh, even the pack car guys can't believe, can't believe, you know, the improvements in the, hey. in, uh, the regens especially. Hey, uh, Scott, uh, especially yeah. the pack car engines. That that engine may have yeah. the worst architecture for this issue. So that that engine probably needs catalyst more than all the others. I know. I I pushed him hard for a long time, and and I actually had I give him a half a gallon. I said, just take this and try it, because he was stopping doing uh, park regen twice a day, and he just and he he didn't burn it, didn't burn it, and then he finally done a bunch of work over the winter time and they replaced all that and he's still doing park regens. And since, since I give him that half gallon, um, he'd done a park regen like a week later and he hasn't had a dark park regen since. Excellent. Isn't that amazing? Yep. Excellent. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I won't fill up without it. Um, that back to my turbo, um, and I talked with the dealer on this, on this issue. Um, I had a little issue with it squealing, uh, when I hit the Jake brake, it would scream through the turbo. Not terrible loud, but you could hear it. And it done it for a couple months. Run great, no issues there. And then went through a uh, water hole. It was raining cats and dogs there last Thursday. And went through a deep water hole uh, in the highway. It was flooded. And, and ever since then, she's been screaming pretty good. And it's just getting worse and worse. And, it, and I think I've got it coming through the 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 center of the turbo um let me say the clamp that holds the turbo onto the housing if i'm saying it right and the compressor housing or the turbine housing the share side or the exhaust side uh the exhaust side okay it's in front of the turbo the big clamp in the center I think it's coming. I can feel air kind of pushing through, but there's no bolt head and there's no nut to tighten it down. All the other clamps have nuts where you can, you know, tighten it down. I don't know what, I'm not familiar with that type of setup. And I got a friend of mine's got a 15. He looked at his and it's the same way. You can't adjust, you can't tighten that clamp up. Is there an O-ring or something in there? Or are they just not wanting us to take them apart and fix that issue or? There's a clamp holding the bearing housing to the turbine housing, but there's no adjustment nut. Yeah, there's no nut to tighten the clamp up. Eric? Yeah, I'm here. Have you guys seen that? Have any of you guys seen that? I'm going to look at a picture. I'm trying to figure out what Clampy's talking about here. Unfortunately, I'm having some computer issues, too, so I'm going to try to log in on my phone. I mean, it's... It, but I not, called the dealer, and they don't have a part for that clamp. They, and their comment was, well, when there's an issue like that, we just sell a new turbo. Well, there's a clamp there, in my opinion, that could be taken apart and fixed. Something, and I don't know if there's no ring in there, what, you know. No, what there's, going no, on. there's no O-ring. An O-ring cannot live on the exhaust side, okay? Yeah, I, that's what I was told by a guy. And I'm like, well, that has to be an awful high temp resistant O-ring. It's the clamp next to like the actuator between the the actuator and the um, turbine housing, the exhaust side. Yes. 
the biggest one, the biggest clamp there. Yeah, I, I think you can get a new clamp for that. Yeah. Now, the international dealer says no. Oh, well, that part of that. I'm pretty sure you could. Um, uh-huh. I would say it's either there, or I would also check, um, the, what about the gasket where the turbo mounts to the manifold? That can cause a squeal right there, too. There's a lot yeah, that's the first place I checked, but it all looks good. Um, you might have to. You might have to open. The, re- it. the reason I um, thought that clamp was because I could stick my hand under there and I could feel some air coming. What I think is air coming through that exhaust yeah. or pressurized there. Mm-hmm. Um, you call me the fuel number. I'd like to look into this a little more. Okay. Okay. Is this Eric that said that? Yes. Yeah, so sorry about that. This is Eric. Okay. Okay. Yep. I'll call him. Call and ask for you after the show. But yeah, I would like to know because I can't find any. I can't find any schematics on the turbo, um, and the dealers don't want to tell you nothing. They just want to sell you new turbo. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I, I don't know why it would start leaking there to start with because the clamp is still tight. It's not or anything. I've seen them before, like times on these the turbos that have maybe a couple hundred thousand miles. Sometimes they'll get a little bit of corrosion or a little bit of carbon from a small leak, and it won't let it seal up a hundred percent. Sometimes you just have to tear them apart, clean them, put them back together. We just had one in here about two weeks ago in the back of uh, eight. Can't remember the guy's name now, but it was an ISX. Same thing it was leaking out, and we tore the housing off, the turbine housing, and there was a little bit of carbon built up from a previous leak and a previous repair. And we took out. Yeah, we did. Okay. And we cleaned that surface area up and it back up. Yeah, my gut feeling says it's the, the one that mounts the manifold, but I would check there too. It's so. usually the one. Uh-huh. That, I mean, sometimes you put deposits in there. If you're taking the exhaust housing off anyway, I would just probably just pull the whole thing off and check both gaskets at the same time. Yeah. Okay. They only got like 100,000 miles since they rebuilt the motor. I only got 400,000 miles on the truck. Um, but I, and I, and I should have went through the truck when they rebuilt, when I got it back, I found clamps that were loose for the air intake and, uh, some other loose bolts and screws. And I, I should have checked some other things too. I, it's I mean, my fault. We're not going over it after I got it back from the dealer. If it's happening during jaking mode, that's when the exhaust manifold has its highest pressure. So that's when you're going to hear the leak. That's when it's going to probably force the leak. That's where it started. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hear it until I hit the jig. Yeah. And, uh, um, sounds like you've blown a gasket out somewhere. Yep, where I'm out just all the time. So it's got to be one of those gaskets. I mean, I can't think of any other gaskets in there. So I don't know that there's a gasket. Uh, there shouldn't be a gasket between at the turbo there, should there, though? Uh, just the, just the mounting gasket and then get between the, the turbo and the exhaust manifold has a, the flat gasket in there. Oh, there is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was just metal to metal right there. Okay. No, it, 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 it shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, may be, issue. yeah that may be the, the main issue there. If there's no gasket there, that's definitely the culprit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I want to, do you guys sell a, a turbo for this and um, like a factory replacement? Because yep. I'm still running I, I've not done a delete or anything like that. It's all bone stock. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, you guys, I mean, I, I'm going to do a tune, but I thought, 
the same time, I want to maybe change the turbo and the manifold. I've considered that too. We have an excellent manifold for that engine. It, it does quite a bit. Um, usually a little bit of fuel mileage, lower pyrometer temps, better flowing. They, they they work really well on the ISXs and the X15s. Uh huh. Now, is that intake manifold or exhaust manifold? We actually offer both. Um, the intake manifolds are basically like a freed up, less restriction style, but they're not ceramic coated or anything. Uh, the exhaust manifolds are the ones that are ceramic coated. They're ported, polished. They're heavy duty design. They're made of a higher quality. Um, they're just a really good product all around. When you put one on, uh -huh. you can actually feel a difference. Okay. Yeah, I've uh, I, I had the truck before this one. I I did the it was an 07, and um, I did the delete on it, and uh, they sure made that truck ring good. Wow. But uh, I don't want to delete this truck. I want I want to keep it bone stock because I'm afraid three or four or five years they crack down on everything. You got to have every truck tested. There I go. Throwing everything right back on again. So if I can keep it running good without all my check engine lights coming on all the time, I'm going to keep right on, keep leaving in stock. So, all right. Yeah. We so, have got okay. to. We'll, uh, we'll give you a call after the show. There you yeah, go. Give me a call. Perfect. We have got to move along. Eric, uh, Eric's going to solve that riddle for us and get back to us on that one. Hey, um, Bruce, this has nothing to do with anything. I just saw it in my notes today. I'd, I'd written this down to mention it to you. Do you realize there is a model of Jeep Wagoneer right now that sells for $111,000? Actually, I know I, know I just Can, I just saw one down the street from me. It looks like it's almost as big as a... Chevy Suburban. $111,000 for a Jeep. It's, it's just... hey, last week was the Jeep Fast in Daytona. My friend Carl Kellner was there. He said some people have $200,000 invested in a Jeep. Oof. Wow. That's insane. They're, they're doing... Some people spend on Next winter, I'm going to go over. I want to see a $200,000 Jeep. Talk to Brian Moe, first off, foreman. He's probably got close to that into his. <laughs> you know, it, it it's one thing if you're Fair. setting it up as a rock crawler or, you know, you we all know that when you get into those kind of hobbies, you can spend a lot of money. But to walk into a Jeep dealer and spend $111,000 on a factory stock Jeep. That's amazing. Hey, uh, Kevin, UTVs, I walked into the Skidoo Polaris dealer in Ogden, Utah, ADS, the turbocharged knife sled, and there sat a four-passenger, Bombardier, UTV, $80,000. No way. Oh. They had it all jacked up and all this special stuff and wrapped and... And I said, do people actually buy these? He said, absolutely. <laughs> and while I was there, a guy pulled in, and he didn't look like a snowmobiler. He, he had this gorgeous gooseneck snowmobile trailer. And I went out, and I looked at it, and it was 110000 for the trailer. That's just, uh, 
You know, they are now doing 84-month car loans, and I have also seen a 40-year mortgage. Oh, wow. Yeah. At, at today's rate, on a 30-year mortgage, you will pay back almost triple what you borrowed. Incredible. I never went more than a 15-year mortgage on a home. Now they're up to 40. And okay. in seven years on Back when I bought my home, I said, you know, if I do a 15-year mortgage, I have to build one more turbo a week to make the difference up. There you go. And that's, that's how, I, how I justified going from a 20-year or a 30-year down to a 15 by building one more turbo a week. It was yep. either a week or a month, probably a week. Pretty incredible how much yeah. money it saves you. All right, we're going to head off to yeah. Colorado this time. Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. Thanks, appreciate you taking my call. I uh, had talked to uh, Eric yesterday, I believe, on my oil sample, and I had another question I thought I'd call in today on uh, it's under Flying W. Hey, let me take a Yeah, I've got it. Go you. ahead. Good. Um, uh, we were talking probably my uh, oil cooler with uh, copper being up there. But I had a question on the, for instance, the air compressor. Is there, would, would, uh, would copper be elevated with anything in the air compressor? Well, hold on. No, it would not. Air compressor. Yeah. Let's just set the copper thing aside. Anytime we see, look at the history of your lead. Three, one, one, zero, one. Nothing is touching your bearings. We've got to get through all the lead on the bearing to get to copper. So when we see copper shoot way up like this, but no lead, it's not bearing, so we can just rule that out. It's almost always an oil cooler, and it's not a problem. There's nothing to do. You don't need to replace the oil cooler. For some reason, they just start leaching oil. It can be a brand new oil cooler that does it. It can be a 10-year-old oil cooler. And out of the blue, nobody knows why. They just start leaching uh, copper. But when we see a, uh, this is a clear pattern. No lead, copper shoots up out of the blue, nothing to worry about. I would just ignore that. The bigger problem is what's going on with your silicon? Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, something got in when I was uh, adding a gallon of oil. I changed the oil. I pulled it because I was thinking that was a bad sample. I pulled it, uh, and I, I put in uh, put in new oil, and I'm back up at 19. I've checked all my clamps. I've done – I've checked every place I can think of. Um, I'm almost uh, down to where I think I might have – a tear in a filter or something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull, put new air breathers on it, new breather filters on there, and yeah. I don't know where else. Yeah, yeah, that that that's the bigger concern. That is why we're starting to see some chromium. Even at three, I start to worry. Chromium's upper cylinder where, and that's where dirt will really start attacking the engine. You've got to get that silicon number under ten. What is it right now? It's 19 now. 19. But if if I go back wow. and if we go back to October of 2022, your silicon went to 83. Did we have the uh, valve cover off? 
Yes, on that one I did. Okay. So yep. it's possible, possible that typically a 3406 doesn't hold a lot of oil. Sometimes on an ISX, once we get silicon in there, it's tough to get it back down under 10. The ISX holds all kinds of oil in places. Um, the cat usually doesn't do that, but uh, I, I would not be comfortable till we can get an oil sample back with this number under 10. Okay. So this is a cat in a 379? Yes. Okay, where do you live? What part of the country? Colorado. Okay, so you have the mag chloride. Um, yeah. You have aluminum piping coming from the uh, air filters, or you have the plastic Y that connects the two it's, air filters? It's aluminum. Aluminum. You want to take... Take the air filters out and inspect inside the cans. Make sure the lids are seating tight against the gaskets. And then take the uh, aluminum piping off and take the rubber elbows and clean inside and spray it with white lithium grease inside the elbows and the pipe and put it back oh. together and then run another 10,000 mile pull apart. And you may see traces of where the dirt's coming from. Okay. Yeah, I pulled those and cleaned them and did all that. I did not spray them with the white lithium grease, though. And spray the pipe with the white lithium grease. That helps absorb the dirt, but it gives you a trail where the dirt's coming from. Okay. okay. All right, I will do that. I will do that. Call us and let us know. Keep us informed on that. A 379 um, with a cat usually runs pretty low on... Uh, silicon. My friend JR down in uh, Louisiana, his, his silicon's between three and four, but he's not in snow country either. And he does yeah. it in a thousand mile oil chains. So his oil samples are probably good, but I won't make it extended, but he doesn't want to. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, but you don't think I'm in immediate need to change that oil color? No, no. I, no. I'll bet I have, I, I've been reviewing oil samples since the mid-90s. I've had to have seen several hundred, if not a thousand, with high copper. It's a very common thing. Um, when it's When it is this pattern, no lead, Sky-high copper. We're not talking about, you know, 10 parts per million. We're talking about 300 parts per million. It has never needed any action. All of them. They've, we've never had to do anything. We don't replace the oil cooler. It, it is so rare for the it to show copper because the oil cooler is failing. It, it just shows copper for whatever reason. We don't know why. Okay. If it was the oil cooler, what else, what other indicator would, would be a, for the oil cooler? Uh, but I don't know of one. I, I don't know that I've ever oh. looked at an oil sample and the result was to replace an oil cooler. Well, sometimes you'll okay. have coolant in there too, though. It actually Oh, like there you go. Like a I, thank you, Eric. Right. I, exactly. I forgot about that. If there's coolant... Then we we could have a failure of the oil cooler itself. 
Uh, Doug, you and I had talked yesterday. Was your oil cooler yep. the one like nine hundred and fifty thousand miles on it as well? Yes. Okay. I, I do remember talking to you, and we kind of decided that you know what, with that kind of miles, it might <laughs> that I place it anyway. And on your truck, it's not a bad job. It's actually a pretty easy one to get to. It's not a terrible thing to do. So, like Kevin said, there's no real telltale sign unless you had cross contamination, which you don't have any. Um, I'm trying to read your result on my phone because I'm having some computer issues here. But sodium, mm-hmm. potassium, I mean, they're all low, five and six. I don't see anything. Right. Um, one thing I want to touch on, you earlier, you had said about an air compressor. In my experience and with uh, some other people I've talked to too in the past, usually when you have an air compressor issue, it's lead and tin and then oxidation. Yep. The lead and tin are the bearing materials in the compressor itself. It just gets extended where, like, maybe your governor is not closing or something. Something is making the compressor run a little bit longer. And the oxidation is the slowly cooking of the oil because it's taking a small amount in, overheating it, and sending it right back into the crankcase. And eventually, over time, running it 10, 12, however many hours a day, it will affect the oxidation. But if you're trying to track an air compressor issue, it's usually the recipe is lead in plus oxidation. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that answers my questions there. Good. All right. Perfect. All righty, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I appreciate all your time and everything you guys do. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. We, um, we've got one more call on the board here. Uh, it's a little slow today. Calls are a little slow. That's okay. If we run out of calls, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, it's my birthday anyway, so I'm going to take the rest of the day off. If you want to jump in, though, phone lines are open. Let's go to West Virginia. Randy, welcome to the program. Happy birthday, Kevin. Well, thank you. What's on your mind today? <laughs> I wanted to talk with maybe Leroy. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what exactly engine i've got um i've got what i think is a d-deck three um and the reason i'm asking about that because i've i've heard there's a little bit of different tuning issues between a three and a four and and maybe uh leroy could clear that up for me too and if that is the case but i called western branch diesel and give them my serial number, and they don't even know what a D deck one, two, three, or four is. Uh, they don't. They don't use that terminology. Uh, so I called the folks. I can't remember their name, but they're up around Youngstown, the Detroit shop. D.W. Williams. Williams. That's exactly it. It's it's a it's not a Freightliner dealer. It's actually a Detroit shop. I think. What year's your What year's your engine? Okay, my my engine, and I'm a little bit Frankenstein here because I built this thing myself. The engine, and I built it all back to specs as a 98 model. Okay, and from all the research I find, the D-Deck 2 went to like 93 somewhere. Then the D-Deck 3 mm-hmm. was from like 93 to 98, 99. The D-Deck 4s were put in place, and they had the uh, oil cooler uh, nozzles. Um, but Williams tells me mine is a D deck four. Uh, but do you have piston cooling nozzles? I do not. And, uh, and so do you have, 
Let me ask you another question. Is your wrist pin bolted to the piston, or is it a full-floating? It's definitely bolted. And I had the full-floating pistons in the engine that I pulled out of this truck. What I did, I bought a a Freightliner years ago as a company driver. Um, Back in, like, 99, 2000, I had a condo Freightliner, and I just loved that uh, FLD truck. And uh, so... I found this one in a junkyard. It had a real good, good uh, cab, uh, everything. The, all the flaring was perfect on it. The owner-operator spec. I want to build that truck, and I want to build it Kevin Rutherford style. So, so I wanted some good fuel mileage. And um, so I built that engine. Uh, the engine was going out of it, but I had the computer. Well, uh, I took that computer ECM back to Freightliner, had them flash it back to the original uh, thing for the truck because I wanted all the uh, the bells and whistles to work. Uh, and so it matches the truck. But now that this truck had a D-Deck 4 in it, uh, 2000 mile. And so this engine, now it gets a little more complicated because when I check out the cam number, which is a 1680, and the injector numbers, which are 5915, they can go to either, they say they can go to either or a three or a four. So I'm just, I'm not having any issues. I'm just curious about my tuning. Is it right? Because the ECM is tuned D-Deck 4, and I'm not sure about the engine now. Yeah, so what you have is, like you said, a Frankenstein. <laughs> There's a little bit of everything inside of there. Uh, it sounds like you have mostly D-Deck 3 parts. Is, is that what you think it too? Yeah. The no piston cooling nozzles. The, it yeah. sounds like mechanical side of a D-Deck 3, but the electronic side of a D-Deck 4. Because right. They made them obsolete. And 98 was a crossover year. You could have a D-Deck 3 or a 4 in 98. Yeah. And the 5915s are the GK D-Deck 3 injectors. They're just bigger. Um, yeah, they're a little bit bigger. And as far as the tuning goes, so... What we would basically do is the DDEC3 ECM and the DDEC4 ECM are different internally in the way that they right. process the sensors are different. So if you put, uh, if you have DDEC4 electronics and you put a DDEC3 file in it, the sensors will all read off, including like the oil pressure, the boost sensor, anything that's 5 volt reference is all different. Um, so basically we would need to figure out what electronics or what type of sensors you have. And the best way to tell that is if you have a boost sensor that is like raised, it's more of like a, a, a little mountain shaped like or if it's flat. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I have the raised one. The old one looked like a GM uh, 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 map sensor, right? Right. Connector. And, and I have the newer style, the, the one that's kind of raised up and, and a smaller plug in. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, it has the. It doesn't have the round pins. It has the small, like little exactly. pins. Yeah, the small square pins are your D deck four. So I would assume that you probably have, like Eric said, you have D deck four sensors, and you probably have a D deck four ECM. Since you can't get a D deck three ECM unless you have one from, you know, back in the day cafe, then you most likely have a D deck four. So when we put the program in, we're gonna set things like the pulse width table. Uh, which is like your main fueling table. We're going to set things like the fuel BOI, the fuel injection timing correction, 
create that DEFRA DDEC3 uh, timing set up that way. Um, probably going to use, like if we had a 16 to 1 compression ratio as far as the tune goes, um, we'll probably do it that way. Based on what you said, it sounds like DDEC3 engine, DDEC4 controls. So that's the way we would set the tune up. Well, let me add one more thing to the picture. I'm running a, one of your power boxes on it. It's a DDEC4 power box. Yeah, that's that's like external. I'm not having any. I'm not having any running issues with it. Uh, I just want to make sure I'm not going to damage it in any way, running wrong timing or something. No, I mean the power box isn't going to affect the timing. Um, and the thing is, you can get the timing really wrong on a 60 series because it has such low compression that you're not going to hurt the engine. Um, so I think you're fine there. It's definitely not going to hurt anything. I probably wouldn't get a very big tune if you were going to get one with a power box because you have all well, the power with the box. Yeah, I, I normally just run it on one. Yeah. What, what we do if we have people that have a power box is we do all of our, our tuned goodies, as we will say, but we'll leave stock fueling inside of it. That way you get yeah. optimized smoke control maps, you get optimized timing maps, uh, we get all, get rid of some of the split injections and some of the other stuff, but then you can run the power box on top of it to adjust your uh, your power level on the fly to whatever you need in that scenario. So you're, what you would recommend is I, I go ahead and get the ECM tuned, and then you know if I want to add the power box on it as well. Yeah, that's what I would do because uh, yeah. the power box is just adding fuel, but the tune is going to change a bunch of things that the power box can't. They can work together, and they work together really nice. We just have to know that ahead of time when we get the tune done. Because <laughs> otherwise, if we put a 600 tune in and then you have a power box, you have an 800 horsepower 60 series, and that yeah, will fix it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, shooting for that. Uh, let me ask you this. I have another um, ECM come out of a Kenworth. Now, the parameters in it's a little bit different, how the fan works and that stuff. Uh, is it possible to send you that ECM and have you, uh, or does it need to be flashed with the Freightliner programming in it? So, with that, it's best if we have a copy of what's in your Freightliner right now. So, let's say you wanted to get this tune done. You could go to one of our remote yeah. tuners. Um even if you didn't want to get the tune that day, you could go to one of our remote tuners. We have them all over, and we can pull the configuration file out of your ECM, how the inputs and the outputs are set up, how the switches are, how the fan is set up, like you said. Right. We can save that, and when you send me that Kenworth ECM, I can just upload that configuration file, put the tune in it, and then send that back to oh. you. And basically, you have a carbon copy of your ECM. You have two of them. But one has a tune file in it, and then one is just the stock one that's on your Freightliner. I carry the spare ECM in the truck because that ECM will run on that truck. Right. And, uh, you know, it'll get me in if I have an issues. I carry yeah, almost exactly spare everything. Yeah, it's a good idea. If you're going to have a spare, let's set it up so it has uh, all the right switches and everything, and you'll just have a copy of it. So um, it leaves really no question when you put a different one on. What I'll do is send you this one, set it up, put it on the truck, run it, and then use the other one for the backup. Yeah, you could do that as well. Now, one more question. Can you install a new uh, ECM battery in that while you've got it there? Sure can. Yep, thought so. Well, 
you guys have got the, all the answers. I appreciate it again. And there you go. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks You're for the welcome, call. Kevin. Uh, go ahead, Bruce. Kevin. I want to mention one thing. The uh, owner operator has a uh, 1996 FLD with an N14. It's a select plus. So it's a reman engine. It's got the 10 speed with 391 gears and there's right around 2 million mile on the truck, but the recon engine was put in at a million three. Um, he's asking 20,000 for it. And it looks like he lives in the Southwest by the pictures. His name is Kim and I'm going to spell the last name S L U Y T E R. Got these looter. But, uh, I can, he's on my messenger. He sent me these pictures. And if anyone's interested, uh, call me, send me a message and uh, give me your name and number and I'll forward it on to him and, and, uh, they can go from there. Okay. Excellent. All right. Will do. I'm up run. So I'll talk to you next week. And, uh, sounds like Eric could be a good replacement for me. Eric has been, uh, fantastic <laughs> so far today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not having to answer too many things unless it's, we're not getting people with big teams. They seem to call on the phone, but they're not calling into the show. So, all right, I'll talk to you people next week. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Bruce. Talk to you next week. Let's go to Wayne in, is that Saskatchewan? Hello. Yes. Hello. You're here. Go ahead. Hi, Kevin. Hey there. Okay, great. I I think I just missed Bruce, unfortunately. But uh, my basic question is: Does the max mileage expire? I think I've had some for two or three years in the in the garage. Basically, it possibly could have frozen, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. You are safe, Wayne. The the max mileage has no freezing uh, expiration shelf life. Anything in some of the earlier stuff gallons we were selling, it does turn a little bit like a darker color. Um, you just take it up a little bit and it's totally fine, but there is no expiration or anything. It's basically like a Twinkie. It'll survive forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one other question then. Thank you for that. Uh, one time I heard, I think it was Bruce say that your bottles are double bleached, I think is the term he used. So, because I'd like to apportion it before I go on my trips, if you know what I mean. So does it have to be a special bottle that I pour it into? I believe our bottles are double fluorinated. Oh, double. Okay. It might've been something yeah. else, but yeah. Yeah. Not double bleached, but I mean, I think people put them, I've heard stories. People put them in all sorts of different containers. You can, but you have to watch because it will eat through some of the plastics out there. That's why yeah. we double fluorinated. But if you're looking to go on vacation or something, we also sell 16 ounce squeeze bottles that would be nice. Yeah. We'll treat up to 400 gallons. Uh, we could ship them up to you or some of my stocking dealers might have them up in Canada as well. Um, but yeah. they're basically like um, the stable fuel stabilizer, how you squeeze the bottom cavity and it fills up yes. the upper reservoir. That It's exactly the same style bottle. They work really well for smaller trips. Okay, great. So no expiration and I don't have to worry about if it did freeze or didn't just shake it up before I use it kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate your help. Have a great day, everybody. Happy birthday, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go to... What's yeah. that, Leroy? Because Twinkies are... 
I said I wouldn't use a Twinkie analogy because Twinkies are bad for you, but max mileage is good for your truck. So they're not like Twinkies. I stand corrected. Max, <laughs> max mileage is like a big, thick, fatty ribeye. Yeah, because if you say it's like a Twinkie for your truck, then Kevin's going to just be all over you. That's on Wednesday. Yeah, this is right. Yeah, our our trucks are full carnivore here. We're eating old dinosaurs with our trucks. Full carnivore. First go. I'm I'm like I'm giving at least like two mulligans. You're booted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's grab another call. I think it's going to be the last call of the day. By the way, we're going to go to Kansas. Trinidad, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, I didn't realize it was your birthday. Happy birthday, man. Well, thank you. What can we help you with today? I, um, just to give you some insight, I, I actually just found you a couple of weeks ago, and I'm I'm a little overwhelmed with your wealth of knowledge and trucking. I don't know how it was that I missed you for as long as I, I did. I wish I would have found you three years ago, but uh, I was really just, Looking for some insight on my situation, uh, non-sugar-coated, preferably, but I, I got my own authority um, a month before COVID hit, and um, it was, you know, I'm a follower of Dave Ramsey, and good, good. did a lot of saving, everything was going really good and all that, but um, along with rates, at home, I kind of had Murphy's Law happen. Oh, boy. And my, my, um, my nest egg slash, you know, safety blanket uh, has taken quite a big hit. On top of that, I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old. I've got a one, a three, and a five-year-old at home. And Okay. So I'm having a really hard let, time. Let me ask you this. Yeah, and it it may be the right thing to do. It may not be. Let's try to talk through what where we are and what some of the solutions might be. Um, Where does most of your freight come from right now? I'm I'm based uh, like where I find my loads. Yeah, where where are they coming from? Uh, I think that's what's hurting me the most right now is uh it's all load boards man that's a, that's a huge problem that's what we've we've either got to solve yeah. that problem quickly and I'll give you some ideas on how you do that or you've got to consider leasing the truck to a carrier or just get rid of it those are those are the three yeah. possible paths here are are you considering leasing it to a carrier is that something you're open to um, I'd be open-minded to it. Um, and I'll tell you who my first recommendation would be, um, would be Landstar. It's as close to your operation right now as you're ever going to get being leased. They kind of leave you alone. You do your own thing. You find your own freight. You You deal with the agents just like you deal with brokers right now. Nothing much changes other than the fact that Landstar's got good paying customer freight, even in today's world. Nothing like what you're used to, yeah. but it, it's good, consistent, 
well-paying freight, even in the bad times, and you still kind of run things yourself. Um, the other option, you have got to get off of this phone call and start looking to find three to five really good brokers and focus on those three to five. Get 90% of your freight from them. Prove to them that, that you'll take care of their best customers and you'll provide good value and good service and they'll keep you as busy as you can be in an environment like this. It's going to be slow. Rates are going to be bad. So those are the options, big picture. And, and those have to happen first. You're either going to really focus on finding a couple of good brokers and really focusing on them or go lease this truck to a carrier. Landstar would be a great option. Or we talk about getting rid of it, and that's not a good situation. Um, hopefully, you're not too upside down in today's market, but getting rid of a truck today. Oh, uh, no. That's the one thing where I kind of, uh, and again, Dave Ramsey, I kind of knocked it out of the park. I bought my truck cash. Excellent. And another thing that actually, that now that you bring up uh, Landstar is, would they have any limitations? Because the reason I was able to buy it cash is because it, it is an older truck. It's a 99 uh, Freightliner Century. So, and it's, I mean, it's in really good shape, runs like a dream, but. So we could find that out pretty quick. Limitations. Some, you know, they have had some in the past. I should know this. I think there was a time Landstar had no limitations at all on age. Then they had something, but there were some exceptions. I'm not entirely sure. And that will be a concern with, with that old. And I'm glad you have an old truck, by the way. I'm really glad you have an old truck. Um, that oh, may yeah. limit us somewhat. So, yeah, it, it may be more we focus on, on the broker uh, option right now. Then the other thing we absolutely have to do, do you have an accounting system? Um, aside from Dave, well, you know what I've got. So here, let me ask a more specific question. Can, can you tell me right now how much you pay for maintenance per mile? Not per mile. Then you don't have a good accounting system. That's job number one. Actually, I said, you know, the big picture was, but job number one to help us figure out if you even have an option for the big picture. We have, we've got to get your cost and compare it to what we expect rates are going to be for the next year. And is there going to be enough profit there or not? And, and we won't know till we have cost. Now, if, if we don't have it per mile, can you tell me for 2022 how much you grossed and how much you had left after all expenses? I grossed one ten, and after all of my expenses, I was left with about fifty one thousand. Wow, um, that sucks. I, I hate to say it. Don't, don't, don't sugarcoat it, man. I, yeah, you told me not to sugarcoat it. I try not to. That is awful for twenty twenty two. Um, why so yeah. low? Do, now, let me ask you something. Is it just that, that, and you just don't want to work real hard? How many miles did you drive? Um, I got to pull over. 
Now, the good news is while you're doing that, um, your expenses aren't bad at all. You've got a pretty good handle on expenses because you are able to take home to net right around. You're a little under, but you're you're pretty darn close to taking home half. The problem is there's just not yeah. enough revenue, especially in a year like 2022. Let me give you an example, just so we know what the what the other extreme to what your year was like. We have a regular caller. If you've been listening for a couple of months, you probably heard him several times. Matt, um, his wife actually call screens, Angie, uh, very tied in. We go through his numbers all the time. He's always willing to share every number in his business. And we learn from it. Um, Matt did somewhere in the $450,000 range, one truck, one driver with his own authority. But he has some shipper direct freight. And he's got a couple of brokers that keep him busy uh, to fill in. He did north of four hundred thousand gross and took home over two hundred thousand. So that's what's po- that that is what was possible in twenty twenty two with one truck and one driver. Your numbers are yeah. just way too low, revenue wise. You could have. Based on every, I have a ton of accounting clients who are with Landstar, so I can see all their numbers too. You could have easily doubled your revenue at Landstar last year. Just signing on with them? Yeah. Yeah. If you would have just pulled the, the average loads on their load board, they have their own internal load board, and then you can go build relationships with their agents like you should have been with brokers. And, and a lot of guys over there don't bother to build relationships with agents. And I think it's a mistake. The best freight never makes it to the load board anywhere. I don't care if it's Landstars, Convoy, DAT, Truck Stop. None of the best loads make it to the load board. They get moved by the broker's best carriers. Why, why go through all that hassle of putting freight up on the load board when I already know my best carriers and I'm going to give them my best freight? That's right. how brokers work. That's why when you You find three to five good brokers and you prove to them that you can solve problems and you're not a headache and they can give you their best freight and you will take care of it and take care of the customer, that's when you start getting the best freight. When you are a cold call off that load board, there is no way I am giving you my best. You're calling on a load right now that's probably paying a buck sixty a mile. That's about the average on the spot market today. And sitting right next yeah. to that load on the exact same broker's desk that you're talking to is a load for $2.30 a mile, and he's not even going to mention it to you. Yeah, and that's where I, I struggled a lot. You know, I really, I really tried to focus on building relationships with brokers, but it's so rare that I deal with the same broker. That's, oh, oh, stop, 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 stop. That's your fault. Nobody ever said you can't deal with a broker today and then call that very same broker again tomorrow, next week. You control that. You have, when you say you're building relationships, the first thing you have to do to build relationships is, is have a relationship. You can't deal with somebody once and then a month later go, huh, 
I don't have any relationship with that guy. No, right, right. It's it's just it's rare that it aligns that the broker has lows where I'm going to end up to continue. No, it doesn't. I can tell you exactly what you're doing. I wrote a book about this. You're going to a load board, whether it's DAT or truckstop.com or Convoy or whoever. You're putting in where you are, what freight's available, and then you're sorting it by the rate and you're picking the highest rate you can find. That's why you're getting a different broker every time. Start with where you live. Find a couple of good brokers near where you live that they control the kind of freight that you're looking for. And you're going to have to spend a day on the phone to do this and then set up appointments and go out and take them to lunch. That's how you build relationships. You don't even have to pull a load for them. Yeah. Take them to lunch. I've I've actually done that, that approach. Um, just, just from watching all the guys on YouTube and stuff, I've, I've taken that approach and, Keep doing to, it. You know, now, now I'm, I'm going to tell you something. There's looking at the big picture right now. My first thought is you, you may want to think about getting rid of this truck. And here's why. Um, your revenue was way, way lower than it should have been in 2022. I, that, that number is, is half of what it should have been. Um, this year, if if you were to do the same thing, you kind of although not sure how you could get much worse than you were last year. I mean, last year looks like you were running for about a buck forty, buck fifty a mile. Um, I just don't know why you would have been with rates where they were last year. Um, you, you've got a tough decision to make. It's you're in a good position because you've got a good inexpensive truck and you've done a, a fairly good job of controlling your cost. Let's get a breakdown of cost per mile so we can th- see things like fuel and maintenance. How much are you paying a year for insurance? Um, 11000 Yeah. Well, you're, you're lucky. I've seen double that. So that's, that's not hurting you. Um, Landstar may be a good option like for you. I'm if you could, I would find out if Landstar would take your truck or not. I just don't know that answer anymore. Um, Otherwise, you are going to have to get hyper-focused on building relationships. And right now is not an easy time to do it. Brokers don't need a lot of trucks right now. Right. I'm talking to brokers yeah. who used to move three to 400 loads a day, and they're telling me they walk in in the morning now and they have 10 or 15 loads on their desk. So they, they don't even want to talk to you. They have enough good carriers to handle the loads they have. So you're in a tough position right now. Timing is not good on this. I, I I may really think hard about leasing to a carrier based on your numbers. I'm not sure if we can turn. Now, let me ask you something else. How much money do you need to to live personally? Monthly? Yeah. Uh, man, honestly, really, $3,000 would be uh, plenty okay. for me. Good then. I'm going to take back what I just said. You've you've done a couple things really, really right. I, you know, I beat you up for the things you did wrong. You've done some things really, really right. You do follow the Dave Ramsey model, which is outstanding. You've got cash. You you're not in debt. Your living expenses are very, very low. That alone will allow you to to work on. You could keep your own authority. 
I mean, you need thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a year to to pay the bills. So mm-hmm. that gives you some time yep. to work on this. You know, you're not somebody that says, "Well, I have to have eighty grand just to just to pay the mortgage and eat." Um, so you're in a good position. Right. You can take some time, take a couple months, really work on relationships, and um, let's get those revenue numbers up. And we're not going to get them up high. We're not going to get them up to the kind of numbers we were talking about last year. But we've got to get you somewhere closer to netting about 150. I, no, I'm sorry, yeah. not netting, grossing. If we could just get your gross to 150, right. we're going to be fine. And that shouldn't be that hard. I'm um, I'm having a really, because like I mentioned, you know, I've got small kids. And... uh it's starting to take a toll on them as well. Well, what, well, let's talk about that. What's taking a toll on them or you even? I think it's just not being there for them. Now, that's a tough one. Um, I changed my whole operation because of that so I could be home every night. I came off the road, took a big pay cut. Um, so I could be home with my kids and raise them and coach and do all that other stuff. And um, that is a challenge. There's no doubt about it. You can make money being local um, or being regional and being home every, you know, third or fourth day. I ran regional for a while. Um, that still gets you home quite often. You can't do some of the things like maybe coaching or uh, but you can still spend quite a bit right. of time at home with a regional operation. The problem is, first, uh, you're just going to have to decide if if you're willing to to sacrifice that for six months to a year, and and you just may have to spend more time on the road till we get this uh, a good solid base of of revenue built and some relationships. Then, once you've got that stabilized, then we could look at running some more regional or local stuff. But I wouldn't do that right now. Too many things all at once. Yeah. Is there a threshold where I should potentially, I mean, what would be your suggestion on a threshold that I should just go ahead and sell the truck and maybe look for a local driver job or so we need to be able to – I would say the minimum threshold right now, you've got to be able to generate about 8000 a month. If we're going to track it monthly, you know, and then we could break that down, that's, that's 2000 a week. Um, that's bare minimum. If, you, if we can't generate that right now, then it's time to just sell this thing. And we have to work up from there. We're certainly not going to be happy with that, but that that's bare minimum to keep the bills paid, keep the lights on so you can work on some ideas. So if you start looking at your revenue, you, you just got to say, I, I've got to generate at least 2000 to 2500 a week. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the things that we're, we, we have to be aware of, um, are you completely caught up on taxes? Yeah. Okay, good. So we, we do have to be aware of uh, taxes have to keep getting paid, and we have to think about maintenance issues on an older truck. We can have some of those big maintenance issues come up. So um, 
you you are at a razor thin margin right now. Um, what's, what's allowing you yeah. to stay in business was how focused and disciplined you've been with your money. Otherwise, you would have been out of business. You wouldn't have made it this far. Yeah. Uh, most people wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, you, like I said, you did a lot of things right, and that's what's kept you in business. You, you've just got a, you've got a tough decision to make right now. Yeah, I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough for sure. It is. Um, the one yeah, thing to, that I, I would say, do, do not hope or think or predict that these rates and freight volume is going to get any better this year. It's not. Well, and, and that's kind of, uh, and I don't know if it's my own pessimism just in my inner thinking, but I, after listening to you and just everything collectively that I read and stuff like that, I, I, I just don't think this is the bottom yet. You know, I, it's, it's still so upside down when it comes to supply and demand and capacity and it's still going in the wrong direction. And now the, with that in mind, I, the, the good news is we did lose 9,000 carriers. And and we'll lose more. And the faster we lose them, the better off we're all going to be. It just has to happen. And it has started finally. That's the first report where we actually saw a significant decrease in the number of carriers. I was shocked that it took this long to start washing them out. But now that they're washing out, they're washing out yeah. fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see it in just equipment prices. Yep. Everyone that is upside down. Yep. I, I I would say get hyper focused on some relationships and revenue numbers and and give this a couple months and, and check back in with me call in let me know what's going on give you okay. some other ideas but l- let's give this a couple months I'll look in I'm I'm, I'm going to look into Landstar and see if there's any limitations on uh, on the age of my truck um, all that and if 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 there is. Uh, if there is, if then, me. I mean, there are other carriers. I mean, I don't make a lot of carrier recommendations. I've worked, I, I don't work with them anymore, uh, but I worked with Landstar directly for a couple decades, um, just up until last year. I, I know their system inside and out. It's, it's a really good option for somebody like you if we can get your truck on there. If you can't, then I don't have any other carriers that I recommend. And it's not to say that there aren't a ton of good ones. I just don't do that much. Right. I just don't recommend carriers very often. That's, a, a, that's just a hard thing to do anyway. Um, but that's one option. Uh, the other one, I, I think right now, since you already have the authority, everything's in place, you're already operating like this. Let's spend a month or two to see if we can improve this. Now, you could go check with Landstar so you know if it's an option or not. But I would say for the first month or two, let's focus on trying to turn around your revenue in, in your current model. If, uh, say, I can't get on with Landstar, um and I really haven't had much success knocking on doors and taking, you know, dispatchers at, at, at a. Well, wait, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You, you, you used that word dispatcher, and I just want to make sure you're not trying, you're not dealing. I, I, 
No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not. I meant more like, uh, you know, um, the agent inside the brokerage who's wor- who's. Yeah. OK. Right. Got it. Got it. I just wanted to make sure we didn't have some goofy dispatch service in the middle of all this. No, 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 no. I've, I've been. OK. You're cleared of all that. So um, when you say you were now right now, I could see why building relationships is certainly more difficult. Not impossible, though. I will tell you, brokers are always, always, always looking to build relationships with small carriers. And if you're finding brokers who aren't interested in that, you're talking to the wrong people. And these are the brokers you're t- you're talking to me about the, the ones that I'm coming across on all these different load boards that I use. Yes. And specifically, when you're talking about yeah. building relationships it, with brokers, is yeah, those yeah, brokers. Just- Yeah, just random brokers. They're all over the country. There's tens of thousands of them. There's lots of them. But we'd want to start local. Start, find somebody who's physically located where you are, because that's where their base of freight is going to be. And it's a whole lot easier to build a relationship when we can do it in person. Yeah. Yeah. um, Worst case scenario, if I do have to sell the truck, um, I know without looking at it or anything like that, it's hard to say, but uh, I wouldn't even. The only thing the truck really has going for it is that it's, you know, a paper truck. It's older and. Yeah, you're really. You can almost always get 20 or 25,000 for these kind of trucks. (laughs) Not much more than that. Not in the market we're heading into. I know they were selling for stupid numbers a year or two ago, but not now. They're going to be 20 and $25,000 trucks again. Um, and like I said, that that's the best thing you've got going here. You've got a good inexpensive truck and yeah. your insurance rates are reasonable. So I, there is still your your costs are pretty well under control. There's still, you know, good potential here. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I got to be honest with you, it, it's. Uh, I felt like the decision was already made for me before I even called. Yeah, see, I don't see it that way at all. You made it last year on $51,000 net. I, I, I don't know that it, it it's almost impossible not to make 51000 again this year. And I know we need to improve yeah. that. But, but you again, you've done such a good job with your money that you've given yourself some options and some flexibility and some time. I, I would hate to see you throw in the towel too soon because you've done most of the things right that everybody else screws up. That's, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. You, you have real potential to be successful at this. I, I, Something I've been doing for 30 years, when I talk to people on the air, whether they want to become an owner-operator, whether they just got started, whether they've been doing it for a while, I I can predict who will make it and and pay the bills and get by. And as long as nothing major happens, they'll probably still be in business five years from now. I can also pick the guy that's not going to make it six months. And I can pick the guy who's going to be successful enough that if they wanted to grow a fleet, they'd be able to. Um, you're in that last category. Don't, 
Don't really, give up on this too soon. Really, I, I really, I really appreciate. You don't know how much I appreciate your input, Kevin. Um, so, what to do, man? Make, call me at least. Call me at least once a week. Okay. We'll go over this. We'll figure this out. Okay. All right. You got it. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Kevin. All right. Um, Leroy, Eric, and are you guys still there, by the way? Are you sleeping? Did you go out to lunch? <laughs> no, we're here. Okay, good. Um, we're we're going to wrap this up for the day. Um, my birthday, so I'm going to take off a little early today. Anything you guys want to close with? Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Go enjoy yourself. That works. Have fun. All right. We will. Eric, are you going to be with us next week? Um, maybe. Good possibility. I, we'll I'm, see. We'll have to see how his tryout. I, I'm going to yeah, put we'll in a good word. <laughs> we can do a public online poll, see if I can be brought Ooh, back. Good call. This could go that, good or bad, but I've had public affiliation before, so I'm used to this. So. There you go. Yeah, when you got spanked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I got second place. Thank you very much. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, we will do this again next week. Eric, we'll look forward to, to having you back. Uh, you were a great addition today. Thanks, as always. Um, we'll see you back Thanks. here tomorrow. What do I have going on tomorrow? Um, tomorrow's going to be a weird day. So I've got the first hour with um, Keto Mojo. So I'm going to have Dorian and Jessica back from Keto Mojo we're only going to be able to do an hour exactly because at 10 o'clock tomorrow, I am a guest on another show uh, with Dr. Wolfson. Um, so that's what's going on tomorrow. Um, Matt just sent me something. He says he believes Landstar only requires an ELD and 120-day inspection for trucks. So even though your truck is capable of being off ELDs, uh, Landstar may require that. Not a big deal. Obviously, with the kind of miles you're running, I don't think an ELD would matter much anyway. So uh, check that out, though. That, that may be the case. Um, Friday, we'll see what happens on Friday. We'll be here. I'm not sure who's joining us. Thursday's a free-for-all. So that's the schedule for the rest of the week. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.